All right. Why don't you turn to 2 Timothy 4.10 to begin with. The message is entitled, What About Demas? Long ago, William Law warned that the world is now a greater enemy to the Christian than it was in apostolic times. Now think about when he wrote two centuries ago. And yet he believed that. He says, it is a greater enemy because it has greater power over Christians by its favors, riches, honors, rewards, and protection than it had by the fire and fury of its persecutors. It is more dangerous as an enemy by having lost its appearance of enmity. Its outward profession of Christianity makes it no longer considered as an enemy, and therefore the people are easily persuaded to resign themselves up to be governed and directed by it. Last night I was listening to radio broadcasts, and I was just appalled at the way a Song of Solomon was being handled let alone the questions and answers that were given at the end of the program to a, probably at least 1,500 young kids. So unbiblical. So compromising. This is the state of the church, ladies and gentlemen. Let me say, we are not the only ones. We are not the right on righteous fellowship. Okay? We're not perfect, but the plumb line is the word of God. And when people ask you a question about something, the Bible is very clear. You say, this is what the Bible says. You don't compromise. You don't water it down. You don't hem-haw around, especially when it comes to sexuality with teens. Many of our churches are den of thieves. If Jesus was here, he would overthrow tables. You know what happens. I'm self-righteous, right? Judgmental. No. I don't think so. It grieves me. Do I have that potential? Absolutely. Do you? Absolutely. And what keeps you in line is that plumb line. Very, very important. What should we say about the attraction and the pull of the world today that is more inviting with its high-tech ways of indulging into one's pick of pleasure since our sin nature is never removed, right? You've got the worldly people that all are directed by sin nature. You remember, you were there, right? And then as you became a Christian, did the sin nature leave you? Oh, no way. You, just, you were just born into warfare. It's ever-present. Now, when a person is born again, sin nature is not removed. It remains ever-present, but it doesn't have to be ever-active. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill thus the flesh, Galatians 5.17 says, right? It's a choice. And so that's the key to victorious Christian living. Being filled with the Spirit of God, obeying the Word of God, not trusting yourself, but looking to Jesus. And always having the plumb line before you. I tell you over and over again, you get tired of it, it's okay. Hear it again. The plumb line is never crooked. I am. The Word of God does not need correction. I need correction. The Word of God does not need adjustment. I need adjustment. End of conversation. Wow. Paul in the second epistle to Timothy wrote some of the saddest words about one of his co-workers 
and fellow believer named Demas. Listen to his words, one of the saddest words. 2 Timothy 4.10, the first part says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Whoa. Now, is Paul being self-righteous? Paul being critical? Paul being judgmental? I don't think so. He's warning you. He's warning me. So let's look at Demas from a threefold perspective. First, we'll look at Demas, the faithful man. Second, we'll look at Demas, the unfaithful man. And thirdly, we'll finish with Demas, the foolish man. Demas, the faithful man. Now, the man Demas is mentioned in two other passages, two other epistles of Paul. The first one, after Timothy that I've given you, is Colossians 4.14. He appears there in Colossians, and his name is joined with Luke, the beloved physician. Demas, along with Luke, are said to uh, send greetings to the church at Colossae. Demas is presented in a positive light and a faithful companion who loves the brethren at Colossae. This is Demas. Doing ministry, loving the Lord, partners with Paul, Luke, and many others. So, if anybody is thinking as I'm doing the text, well, maybe he was never born again. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Stop right there. Then you're accusing Paul of using non-believers for ministry and being ignorant of it. It's stupid, isn't it? Don't let nobody give you that argument. Make no mistake. He was born again. Paul is writing inspired scripture. He also appears in Philemon, that one little chapter. Remember, um, Paul was interceding for Onesimus, the runaway slave, with Philemon to receive him back. If he had stolen from him, he would lay it to Paul's charge and he would repay him. And there he um, appears, and Demas, in verse 24, is joined with Epaphras, the pastor of Colossae, who was Paul's fellow prisoner, and both were sending greetings to Philemon, in verse 23. Okay? So there we have another connection with Demas. Very important ministry, what's going on? Demas was one who had labored in the past and was at the present laboring in the kingdom of God in the ministry of the gospel. There's no other conclusion you can come to from those passages. Only three passages talk about him. Now, the man Demas was a Gentile. He, um, without any doubt, came to faith in Christ under the ministry of Paul. The apostle. Some think that he was from Thessalonica that Paul reached in the second missionary journey as we went through the book of Acts to remember. But we, we, it's a guess. We don't know. We try to simulate where that and because of things we says this is a possibility, but we're not sure. But he's a Gentile for sure. The location is not important as the clear record of truth that Demas had trusted Christ as Savior. That categorically is clear. And that's a very important factor as we move on. He had come to know Christ. Paul is using him. He without doubt became a disciple of Paul. He's mentioned as a fellow laborer in the ministry. He was fortunate enough to be associated with the work of the Lord as God was using Paul 
It's always exciting when you see God use men and women or whatever may be and you're part of it and you see what God's doing. What a privilege. The name Demas means governor of the people. Remember, he's a Gentile. He had been uh, named after the mind of the world to become someone. He had been brought up as one who would be great and rule over people. With the old man, the old sin nature, our pride. Now, there's nothing wrong with competition, nothing wrong trying to be the best you can. The problem is that arrogance and that pride that thinks that you're better than everybody else and, and then everything else that follows. Now, he had come to trust Jesus to govern over his own life as Lord. That was a great change. That was a great decision he made. The most important decision in your life, ladies and gentlemen, is whether you're born again and God forgives you of your sins. The second most important decision is who you will marry. That person will affect you for the rest of your life. Good or evil? Two greatest decisions in your life. His name is a shortened form of Demetrius, meaning belonging to Ceres. He should not be confused with Demetrius, the heathen silversmith you remember at Ephesus, and the certain Christian named Demetrius, who is mentioned by John as one who loved to have the preeminence. You find those in Acts 19.24 and 3 John 1.12. He's different. Now, the time period of Demas, his faithful service, is during Paul's first imprisonment as we put everything together. When he wrote his prison epistles, remember that Paul at the end of the book of Acts in chapter 28, verse 30 and 31, after the journey and everything, and as he appealed to Caesar, it was from prison that he wrote Ephesus, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Okay? In fact, uh, Philemon and Colossians was sent together because you had uh, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae in the Trilicus Valley. Okay? And the book of Revelation mentions all three of those churches, the letters, right? He dwelt in his own house, we're told, at Rome, Paul, for two years. God put him in there, allowed him to do that, suffer for the gospel, and at the same time, he allowed him to be able to write some letters that were necessary for the churches that help us out a lot, these four epistles. And Paul preached and he taught the things of the kingdom of God with confidence and no one forbade him. No one hindered him. No one stopped him. All of that under God's doing. We get that record. Demas was a close companion of Paul. You remember Ahithophel? He was David's counselor and friend in the kingdom that God had given to David. And he became a great asset to him in Second Samuel fifteen twelve. If you remember the Old Testament. But things happened. He began as a good friend. I think of God's blessing to have you have people who have known you for so many years, that accountability. I think of Mario. Mario and myself, we, we, we've known each other since we were 14 years old. We went to Baldwin Park High School together. We ran around with the same people. We were in the world and all that. And then God saved us at two different places. 
But what a faithful and godly and, 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 and loving brother he's been to me and a friend. In so many ways. And, and those things you value, Tony, not all the rest of the people, but I'm using Mario because since we're 14. And the work that God has done, it's amazing. There's nothing more exciting than to see a person who is living in the world and then turn to Christ. It is the most important decision you will ever make in your life, as I told you, because it will determine where you spend eternity. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In that one decision, your eternity has changed. It is the beginning of a new potential in Christ Jesus, a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17. All things pass away, everything becomes new. Everything you ever did, God erases it. God puts it in the deepest ocean. He puts it behind his back. He casts it as far as east as the west. He never mentions it again. Now, you know it. You remember it. You condemn yourself. Other people will accuse you. Other people won't forgive you. But he says, you're a new creature. You must keep that very clear in your heart and mind. It is the incredible privilege of knowing for the first time how to live out your life in relationship to your creator and redeemer. Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, he equips you. He's given to you and myself all things for godliness through the new divine nature, through the promises. So whatever God allows to come into your life, whatever he brings into your life, Whatever situation, you, I've been equipped more than sufficient to pass the test. Do we pass the test every time? Nope. But do we do it on a regular basis? Yes. And we fail at times because we still have sin nature and we are men and women that are not perfect as of yet. I'm under construction, but... I never use my under construction as an excuse for my flesh or justification. Am I clear on this? The change in a person's life is the greatest impact to his or her old acquaintances. Before um, you were known for your self-will, as well as I. Now we are known for our desire for the will of God. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, we used to be dead in trespasses and sins. We thought we were living and we were dying. I was committed to dying. I wouldn't eat for a day, a day and a half. I drink. Then I come home after two days of partying and go, oh, that was great. I was committed to dying. But because I was young, my body could put up with it. But in the long run, woo, it's going to start smoking. If you keep it up. We are committed to death. By the ensnarement of sin. Self-gratification. Before um, you and I were known for living in pleasure. Materialism. Now we're known for our passion for Christ. And how we can benefit others. Fulfilling Romans 12, 1 and 2. Presenting our body a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable God. Which is our reasonable service. And being not fashioned to this world system. But being transformed by the renewing of our mind. To prove what is that good acceptable. The perfect will of God. What has happened? The people you used to hang out, what, what happened to that guy? I don't know, he used to be fun, nice. You know, 
Jesus is free, isn't he? He used to be the life of the party. He was the first at the party and the last out. He used to come in with two, three, five cases. Now he comes in with tracks. Wow. And I'm not talking on your arms either. Before you and I were known for our indifference to the things of Christ and now we're known for our identity with Christ. And so we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the power of God and the salvation, the Jew first and the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, according to Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith. We have partaken of the power that liberated us. We're partaking of the power that changed our mind. We're going this way in a 180 degree turn repentant and went this way. By His grace. The work that Christ has for a person is beyond anyone's imagination. As I go back the last 42 years of my life, I couldn't even imagine what God was going to do in me, for me, and through me by His glory and by His grace. I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. First Corinthians 10, 9 on down, he talks about. That's for here and now, not when you get to heaven. As you look back, the people that God brings to you, how you affected them, how they affected you, the op- open opportunities, the, 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 the testings, all of those things, and raising a family, you know, and, and ministry, and the world, and decisions, and then your grandkids, and if God blesses your great-grandkids, and, and the position you hold of accountability and responsibility, that if you walk away, that if you blow it, you it's a domino effect. You affect your wife, your husband, your children, your, your daughter, your son, your their husbands, their wives, their children, your grandchildren. Boom, 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 boom. Wow. We are said to be God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. His poem, literally. Ephesians 2.10. Message to the world. We're to be vessels of honor, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. 2 Timothy 2.21. By his grace... How are we doing? <laughs> you see, we're here on Sunday morning and on Sunday night and on midweek and Tuesday and everything else uh, to learn, to grow, to be warned by the scriptures, to be instructed. Not simply to focus on grace and love. That's, that's half of the coin. You've got to flip it on the other side. All the, what do you do with all the warnings? Uh, do you as a parent tell yourself, oh, I just love you, son, and you know, and... It, call you everything in the book except, you know, mom and dad. And, and you say, oh, I just love my son. He's so good. No, you don't. You deal with reality, right? You confront them. You correct them. You reprove them. You chasten them. Is that not your love? Absolutely. But if you make a judgment as a Christian today, then you're self-righteous. You're critical. You're unloving. You're uncompassionate, right? Well, bring it on. It doesn't really matter. Because it's the plumb line. I want to make sure I do it in love. But I need to make sure I do it when it calls for it. This man, Demas, at one time, was a faithful man. Second comes Demas, the unfaithful man. 
In 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas had deserted Paul in Rome. For Demas has forsaken me. Demas had departed from Paul as he was waiting to be executed for his faith. So the context and the scenario magnifies the treachery. Demas had departed from Paul as he was waiting to be executed. The word forsaken there means literally to leave, abandon, desert, to leave him in a strait, leaving him helpless. It's made up of three Greek words, en, kata, and epo, all combined together. The magnitude of it is he's in prison, he's been condemned to death, and when someone's there, you stay with them. You don't abandon them. Your mom and dad get sick, you don't abandon them. Your wife and husband get sick, you don't abandon them. Your children get in trouble, you don't abandon them. Right? Simple. The word is found um, nine times in the New Testament. Jesus used it from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In Matthew 27, 46. Now the context is that is legitimate. Because Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So God the Father poured his wrath on his son because he became our substitute. That we might be justified by the atoning work of God, right? But that's the word that he's using. In Acts 2.27, Peter quotes the Psalms at Pentecost. says, you will not leave my soul in hell, nor suffer the Holy One to see corruption. And he's relating it to Jesus Christ going down to hell and being raised from the dead. He didn't only die, but he rose from the dead. You will not leave his soul in hell to see corruption. The book of Hebrews tells us not to be forsaken or not to forsaken the gathering of the saints as the man or some is in Hebrews 10.25. Same word, forsaken. Now, let me ask you a question. If there is no possibility of you forsaking the gathering of the saints, like Demas, why mention it? When you tell your son or daughter, make sure you look both ways before you cross the street. Is it because there's no potential for them getting run over? This is divine revelation, ladies and gentlemen. Let's not bypass it. Let's not explain it away. Demas uh, and his forsaken Paul had forsaken. Listen, listen carefully. The work of Christ. Paul is going to make this very, very clear. He had forsaken. He didn't just go on a case. He didn't just go on another ministry. He, he forsook the work of Christ. He was not just moving on to another work. He was not, he was not living in good terms. He was not fulfilling his ministry. He was committed to his desires to forsake Paul, even as he was waiting to hear about his execution. It's very, very clear. If you look at the context of 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul is charging him. Now listen carefully. Ask the question. Paul is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Is this his vindictive uh, opinion about him? Is he embellishing? Is he, is he bitter? Or is he revealing revelation to warn us about people that will be like that? Wow. Demons having forsaken Paul caused Paul to request Timothy to come at once. Notice in verse 9 of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. Be diligent to come to me quickly. The sudden departure of Demas without doubt left a hole in the ministry of Paul um, from his cell. So Timothy was to come with all 
diligence, it says there. And the word diligence means to exert oneself focusing on man's human responsibility and will. The word is found some 11 times in the New Testament. It is used of Paul's attempt to return to Thessalonica after their forced departure in 1 Thessalonians 2.17. It is used of the Christian responsibility to study God's word in 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to show yourself approval. Workman that does not, mean, be, uh, does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. It's used of the believer's part to enter into God's rest in Hebrews 4.11. Be diligent to enter into God's rest. It's used of the believer's part to make his or her call an election sure, Second Peter 1.10. Diligence. You see, the coming of Timothy was also said to be quickly. The context is in prison. He's going to be losing his head. He's going to be with the Lord. Demas has forsaken him. He's all alone. The word quickly means shortly. As soon as possible, focusing on the urgency of the situation. Again, this word is found ten times in the New Testament. Paul used it for the coming of Corinth. He listens, he says, But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and, I, and you, will, you will know, uh, not the word of those who are puffed up, but power. 1 Corinthians 4, 19. Paul quotes Galatians, he says this, or he told the Galatians this, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, Galatians 1, 6. So soon, same word. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 2, 2, uh, speaking about the Antichrist, and he says that you are not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of the Christ had come, because people had taught that Christ, the rapture had happened, and they were now waiting for the tribulation. Paul said, really? Where's the Antichrist? Where's the falling away? Don't you remember I told you these things when I was with you? Don't, let, don't be deceived by word, by letter, by spirit. Check it to the plumb line, the plumb line, the word of God. Paul told Timothy, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. There's the word. Nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. 1 Timothy 5.22 The apostle wanted to give to Timothy without any doubt ministry instructions and not merely to have some company with him because he was lonely or because he was going to go home with the Lord. Though certainly when you know your end has come, you, you don't ask for perfect strangers or people that don't like you. You want the people that love you the most and the ones you love the most to be by your side if possible, right? It's simple. It would take Timothy about three or four months to arrive at Rome. Travel was not easy. It depended on the time of the year. In fact, sailing would be prohibited by the winter. Verse 21 tells us. He, he encourages him. Come before winter. A parallel with Demas, as I began the first illustration about Ahithophel, being such a close friend with um, David, and valued friend. David, writing about Ahithophel, 
in his betrayal of him by taking side with Absalom. The one that was with him took side with Absalom. Now, there's other issues I don't want to get sidetracked, but let's just keep the illustration simple. All of a sudden, Ahithophel becomes David's enemy. Listen to David when he finds out. In, in Psalm 55, 12 through 14, he says, "For This is David. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance, who took sweet counsel together, both of us. We walked to the house of God in the throng. Those close, intimate, faithful moments of close friendship have been turned into treachery and betrayal. This is the context of Demas and Paul. Again, this is not Paul's opinion. This is not Paul's bitterness. This is not Paul's self-right. This is revelation from God to warn the church because Demas was known as a laboring ministry among the churches. Therefore, he became dangerous to the churches. Are we clear on this? The closer the relationship, the more treacherous the betrayal. The circumstances of our lives, nor the shortcomings of individuals should take our eyes off the Lord and the ministry which God has given to us. It is a race, and we are to run it with the intent to win, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says. So we're to lay aside every weight of sin that so easily besets us, lest we fall short of the race, right? I've never seen a track person run with combat boots or a pack on their back. They get the lightest shoes, the lightest little trunks and tops. They want to win. They want to win. How much more us? The goal is to be watchful in all things and during affliction, doing whatever God has called us to do to fulfill our ministry, as 2 Timothy 4, 5, Paul tells Timothy. You see, even Timothy needed exhortation. Why? Because he's a sinner like anybody else. He still has sin nature, right? Let him who think he stand take heed lest he fall. Paul writes to Christians, the Corinthians. The longer we live in our use of God, the more fruit we should be bearing and come from our lives. Listen to Psalm 92, 12 through 14. It should be, but that's not always the case, right? Things don't happen automatically. Listen carefully. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of the Lord. In the courts of the Lord, not in the world. Okay? They shall still bear fruit in old age. I qualify. They shall be fresh and flourishing. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. You're grounded. You're rooted like the tree planted by the water. Bringing fruit in its due season. Psalm 1. 
the ungodly are not so. The nature of the church is always the same. It is a living organism, not an organization. Each equipped with their own gift and calling for the work in conjunction, for the edification of the entire body of Christ, the church, in faithfulness, with the function of edification through love. Everybody picking up what God has called them to. Staying in step, Ephesians 4.16. Very clear. No one's to sit. If your right arm is paralyzed, you feel sorry for a person. If my right arm is paralyzed, then my left hand has to do twice the work, right? And, and, and when I do that, then the rest of my body is going to suffer. It's going to affect my shoulder, my joints, my back, depending what it is. When I have a left and right hand, I'm balanced, right? And each gets to work the same and it's split, split in half and so it lasts me twice as long, right? But when one part has to do part of another one, then it's a greater burden. And that, we, we see somebody like that, we have compassion, we feel sorry for them, but yet a lot of the church is willfully paralyzed because they're not functioning their gifts, they're not exercising their ministry, they don't see that God has used them to build up others. But too often people are just, what about me? It's all about me. No, it isn't about you. It isn't about me. It's about Jesus Christ and his church. It's about living out in the power of the Spirit of God with the gifts of God for the glory of God. It's just that simple. The rough part is being a doer of it. <laughs> Because you've got to deny yourself. You've got to pick up your cross and you've got to follow Jesus. You've got to obey. You've got to trust the Lord. You've got to trust the Word. You've got to trust the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to resist the fight. You've got to put on the whole armor of God. Your warfare. You're born into warfare. We're going to pick up the warfare in Ephesians right now that we're doing in depth. We've been in it for about 50-some uh, studies in Ephesians. We're going to start the warfare in about two weeks. Come and learn about it. You're born into it. Sometimes people are merely out for themselves. We're not to be like the world. We're not to be like we used to be. This was Demas as time passed. An unfaithful man. Now, think with me. We, we've got Demas faithful, right? He's in ministry. He's with Paul, Aristarchus, Luke, all these guys. He's here in Macedonia. He's here. He's there everywhere. And all of a sudden, he loves the world and departs to the world. Did that happen from Monday to Tuesday? Of course not. Process equals product. Doesn't happen overnight. Whether it be adultery, you fill in the blank, or whatever it is. No one says, hey, I'm going to be unfaithful to my wife or husband today. It's a process. Things happen. You don't cultivate your relationship. Pretty soon you don't want to be at home. You want to be somewhere else more than at home. Pretty soon everything starts looking good. Pretty soon you're hanging out with people that give you worldly advice rather than Christian advice. Pretty soon you're no longer in the Word of God. You're no longer in fellowship. You're no longer going to church constantly. All of a sudden, you're in the rack. 
and you've destroyed everything. It doesn't happen overnight, ladies and gentlemen. It's a process. This was Demas. Once again, if you tell me, well, he was never born again, you're a Calvinist, then, then tell me, was Paul stupid? Paul didn't know he was not born again? Paul is at fault for using non-believers in ministry? Not what my Bible tells me. Many people have sat in your seats here in Pasadena since 1986. Faithful, godly people that are now in the world. And there's no way you can tell me they were not born again. Absolutely impossible. Thirdly comes Demas, the foolish man. This is the end result. Demas attempted to serve two masters, having loved this present world. Second Timothy 4.10 says. Demas forsook Paul because he was in love with the present world. Demas is put in contrast. Notice the text there in 2 Timothy 4.10. He's put in contrast to the others mentioned. He is the negative and they are the positive. Crescens, Titus, Luke, and Tychicus or Tychicus, whichever way you want to pronounce it. It's also verse 11 and verse 12. Their names. There's a contrast there. Demas is also in contrast to the love of the believer for the Lord's appearing and his love for the present world. Look at 4.8. He loved. What Greek word do you think he used? Agapao. The love that belongs to God. He gave to the world. Wow. He agapao this present world with the love that belonged to God and no other. He loved the present world, eon, the age of his day and time more, listen, more the contrast than the Lord's appearing. There's the contrast. The world looking pretty good to you when you're being deceived. Absolutely. Demas Wavering, perhaps, was recognized by Paul beforehand as he wrote to the Philippians. Listen to Philippians 2, 20 through 21. He said, I have no one like-minded like Christ who will sincerely care for your state. He's speaking of Timothy. And of all the people, he says, no one like Timothy. Now, You've been around people. If you're an employer, you know you have employees. Some, they're like Timothy's. You can trust them. You can depend upon them. They're just go-getters. They're loyal. You have others. They're good workers, but they have to be pushed and overseen. Then you have the slackers that want to hide in the bathroom all day. Okay? And you understand that. And because you do, you can run a good business. And you would deal with them accordingly. Listen to what he says in Philippians 2, 20 and 21. He said that there's no other like mine, like Timothy, right? Christ-like. And then he says in 21, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. That's quite a statement. Is Paul being self-righteous? Is Paul being mean to the rest of the people? 
How can you say that? You know, you, you'll stumble them. Somebody told me that last week over a statement I said in the sermon. I tell them, get some thick skin, Christian. Everybody's so mamby-pamby today. Well, aren't you afraid of... You would have never made that conclusion if you were in this church 20 years ago because you would have had a moral base of right and wrong. But you're an indoctrinated millennialist who's had his mind tainted by Kool-Aid. Amazing to me. If Demas was with them, he could have been of those who were seeking their own and not the things of Christ. Process equals product, right? Demas returned to the world, notice. And has departed to Thessalonica. Again, Second Timothy 4.10, the latter portion. Thessalonica was very possibly his home. Though the Bible is silent. But because where he left, there's a good possibility. But whatever. Whether it was Almani or, you know, Linwood, it doesn't matter. Okay? The city would offer him his old life. The city would provide his old friends. The city would make him feel somewhat familiar and comfortable. But the city would also remind him of his commitment to Christ years past and his abandonment of it. You can't get away from that. Do you realize that we're creatures of familiarity and how often a husband or a wife, if they are unfaithful or things happen, they go back to their ex-girlfriend or boyfriend in high school or whatever they hook up? Because we go back to what's familiar, right? Where we're accepted, right? Where we can reinvent ourselves. Wow. We are bad news. Crazy. Thessalonica means victory of falsity. Wow. What a vivid description of the deception of demons and those who give their lives to attain and experience the things, pleasures of this age at the expense of their souls. Happens every day, ladies and gentlemen. None of us are the exception as a potential candidate. If you sit there and say, well, yeah, Pastor, you know, somebody got to enlighten you. You know, you, we, you, we're eternally secure. Don't you know that? Nothing can happen to us. Okay. Then I guess all the warnings in here are just, just for me. And Paul's just embellishing and God is just kind of like a mean kind of guy. He's a killjoy. Hmm. Thessalonica was a famous and popular city situated in the Thermotic Gulf, the capital of the second division of Macedonia and the residence of Roman governor and proconsular. You had everything there. A Roman city was a Roman city everywhere in the world. You go to Spain, Madrid. From Madrid, you go anywhere in Mexico City, any of the South American, they're all built the same. A mini Madrid. Many Spain. The plazas, the streets, everything. Rome was the same. All over. So whenever you went to a Roman city, you were at home in Rome. Wow. 
Thessalonica was evangelized by Paul on the second missionary journey. After he and Silas had been beaten and imprisoned at Philippi, and they were chased out of Thessalonica and escorted to Berea and later to Athens in Acts 17, 1 through 14. And people were being saved. The majority? Nope. Most people don't get saved. You and I are very fortunate. Now, it isn't because God forced you to be saved. Yet, predestination is biblical. But you had to give permission to be saved. You say, that's her heresy. No, it isn't. Did you force your wife or husband to be saved? I mean, to be married to you? You gave him an invitation. And she said, yes, or get lost. One of the two. For love to be genuine, meaningful, and valuable, you must have a free will. For there to be a choice. So say you have a choice, and I ask you, hey, where do you want to go eat? Well, I don't know. Well, we'll pick some. Well, how about here? No, I don't want to go there. And then you end up making the choice. Why ask them? Once again, when Absalom drove his father out of the city of Jerusalem, someone came to David and they said this, listen, Second Samuel seventeen twenty three, Ahithophel is among the conspirators and abs- with Absalom, and David said, Oh, Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Second Samuel fifteen thirty one. And then in 2 Samuel 17, 23, he says, Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, remember Absalom uh, uh, asked for some counsel? He saddled his donkey because his counsel was rejected. And he arose and went home to his house, to his city. And then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. Ahithophel, a close friend of David, a valuable counselor at one time, treacherous, turned against him. Being rejected at the end, he hangs himself. Wow. That's exactly what happens to Demas, spiritually speaking. No different. Now, we don't know what happened to Demas. Let's just pray that he repented. If he repented, God forgave him. But he hadn't at this point, and Paul is warning the church. Paul is warning Timothy. Are we clear on this? Jesus declared, no one can serve two masters, for you will either hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, Matthew six twenty four. You can't have two wives, you can't have two husbands, you can't have two girlfriends, you can't have two boyfriends. It just doesn't work like that. The attempt results in ongoing frustration. The enjoyment of bulls can never be realized. Jesus said, For what profit is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul in Matthew sixteen twenty six? What is it that is so valuable that you believe is worth eternity? What person or possession or worth 
do you think is much better than eternity with Jesus? Now, if you've lived long enough, you realize there's not absolutely nothing. Your car is decaying, it's rusting. Your house, everything is decaying. Look at your body. Go look in the mirror. Be careful. Um, it's okay the first 40, 45. Everybody's different. Now Mario looks, still looks like he's 39. Uh, they think he, he dyes his hair. He doesn't. He's just like that. His dad was like that. Uh, you look at me and Mario, we're the same age. In fact, I'm six months older. You look at me and, man, you've had a rough life. <laughs> we're all different. We're all going to die, though. Each of us will tragically see people love the appearance of this age. They will live more for that than the appearance of Jesus Christ and His coming. Certainly the world does, but you'll see Christians turn from Christ like that. The warnings are there. We're to warn them of the cares of the riches that choke out the word of God as brethren, not enemies. Matthew 13, 22, 2 Thessalonians 3, 15. If you love someone, you warn them. Sometimes the warning is just mild exhortation. When my kids would go out in their teens and before they walk out the door, go, hey, be careful. I'm here if you need something. Don't do nothing stupid. Did I hate them? No, I, I knew they were one problem. They were my kids. That's sin nature. Then there's other times when I have to get right in their face. You did what? Both are motivated by love. We are to cut off Fellowship from those that call themselves Christians and refuse to listen after two or three admonitions. First Corinthians 5, 9 through 13 is the young man that's sleeping with the stepmother. And Paul says, listen, kick him out of the church and listen carefully. Turn him over to Satan. Listen very carefully, okay? Especially if you're a visitor. Don't misquote me. We do not hand over non-believers to Satan. They already belong to him. You hand Christians who refuse to repent from sin over to Satan in hope that they repent. Whether they will or not, time will tell. Am I clear on this? It's more than one time that is stated. You turn Christians over to Satan who refuse to repent on sin and you don't fellowship with them. After two or three admonitions, you have to make some decisions, right? Because if not, you're approving of their lifestyle. You're condoning to it. When your children do something wrong, you say, hey, come on, let, 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 let's, let's go grab a bite. Maybe after they repent, maybe after they get squared away, but not when you're disciplining. Otherwise, you're approving of it. You're the bigger problem. We're to pray for them. And if they return with godly repentance, then we are to receive them, lest Satan take advantage of the situation, Second Corinthians 2, 8 through 11. By the way, in Second Thessalonians three thirteen through fifteen, Paul says, "There, separate yourself from these people." So it's not just in Corinthians. So we pray. Our hope is that they return, that they turn around. Time will tell. 
But don't fall to that thing, well, you know, if you raise up a child and she'll go, he'll never depart. That's not a promise. It's a potential. Not a promise. We tragically see and continue to see their latter end to be worse than the first, knowing that it would have been better for them never to have known the truth. Second Peter 2, 20-21. Who's he talking to? That cannot be stated of a non-believer. That can only be stated of a believer who has gone back to the world. You see, but pigs are pigs and they're not sheep. They're not sons of God. Listen to me. We're all pigs and dogs. We all love the mire and we eat our own vomit in the world. That's an illustration, not a doctrine. You don't teach doctrine from an illustration. The point is simple. We have sin nature and if we're not curtailed by the Spirit of God, the new nature, and we don't obey, we will do what we used to do. And if you don't think so, give me five seconds with you. I'll, that's all I need. It's a tragic end for many people, having known Christ. What are you going to do about these warnings, such as Demas? You're going to just explain them away and, and because you don't want people to think that you're judgmental and mean and unloving and compassionate, just kind of wash it away and say, well, no, he, you know, it, it doesn't mean that he didn't walk. He just, you know, he just wanted to see his grandmother. It does not what it, you know. You'd be surprised what people say in scripture. It's amazing to me. This was Demas in the end. The foolish man. And so next time um, you open your Bible and you read Colossians or Philemon or 2 Timothy and you come across Demas, remember and keep him in mind with these three points. Demas, the faithful man. That's how he began. That is great. He moved to be the Demas, the unfaithful man. And he ended up being Demas, the foolish man. That's a warning to me. It's a warning to you. Don't ignore it or explain it away. Embrace it and thank God for the warning. And learn from it. Lord, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. We thank you for this morning and we pray you continue to just teach us. Lord, I thank you for the so many faithful servants in this church and all that you do in their lives, how they serve their wives, their children, the wives, how they just labor day in and day out. Lord, the ushers, the people that help here after long, hard work for the week and they come. And Lord, we thank you how you use us all to be a witness to the community. And Lord, we just pray that you would deal with our hearts even now. If you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the radio, the internet. You need to be born again. You must call upon the name of the Lord, ask Him to forgive you. He will save you right now. This is your prayer if you want to be born again to Jesus Christ. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. 
baptized me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.